Welcome to the Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace changemakers. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Principled Podcast by LRN. This is first in a series of conversations this season about the role of the board in shaping ethical corporate culture. And we're presenting all of this in association with Tapestry Networks. I'm your host today, David Greenberg, special advisor at LRN and a member of the board of International Seaways, the second largest global oil tanker company. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Marsha Urshagi-Hames, partner at the management consulting firm Tapestry Networks. We're going to be asking each other about activating culture and ethics from the boardroom, a major study we co-authored that examines boardroom oversight of culture, ethics, and compliance. Created from in-depth interviews with 40 directors occupying 80 seats at global public companies, the study is a window into how directors think about, feel about, and act on culture, ethics, and compliance. Today, we're going to be focusing on the big themes that emerged. In later podcasts, we'll be inviting participants in the study to join us to dig deeper into the findings and implications. Marsha, thanks so much for coming on the Principled Podcast today. It's great to be here, David. Before we dive into the results, let's talk about how activating culture and ethics from the boardroom came to be. Can you tell us about who Tapestry Networks is and how this report was created? Yes, yeah, thank you. And and uh, good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be here. And, you know, a little background, I think, on Tapestry, and then we'll kind of jump into the report. So Tapestry Networks' mission has been to help leaders of the most important institutions in the world do their work most effectively and with great confidence. And each year, hundreds of independent directors and senior executives participate in our networks and our research initiatives, and they represent large global organizations from North America and Europe. And our focus is to design networks, and these are across financial services, corporate governance, and healthcare, to really kind of center conversations and candid dialogue from these top leaders on the pragmatic realities of leading these organizations and complex firms. And last year, while the pandemic challenged the resiliency of so many of these organizations, we were noticing that in a lot of the dialogue, it, it pushed leaders to surface and adopt kind of what is, what is our broader view of risk and responsibility. And so in collaboration with LRN, and specifically, David, you and I had a number of, of conversations as we sort of started to explore, you know, is there something there that we need to really unpack? The Ethics, Culture, and Compliance Forum came together, and we brought together directors and executives to begin exploring what is the role of values, what is the role of corporate culture and ethical decision-making in helping organizations secure long-term sustainability and viability for business. And we had a series of meetings last year. So we kind of kicked off in in July, kind of at a midpoint. We're a year now and uh, concluded at the end of last year. And when we concluded these sessions, the input 
from all of the participants in the dialogue was that we all kind of collectively stepped away and said, we need to go out. We need to go out and assess these current realities of board oversight of corporate culture. We need to understand from the director perspective, what is practical here? How is information being received? What is being measured? You know, what, what do they need to investigate more? How do they need to build and bridge some of this dialogue? So when we kicked off 2021, our goal in collaboration with LRN was to conduct this study to glean the perspectives of sitting public company directors. And activating culture and ethics from the boardroom reveals these insights. These were confidential discussions, as David mentioned, with 40 directors representing 80 public company board seats. So fascinating, fascinating work and looking forward to discussing it more. So David, maybe we can actually turn to you and get started. You know, you've been in ethics and compliance for two decades and a board member at three companies since a decade and a half ago. So what is your perspective on this report? And why do you think the work that we've done here together is so timely? Marcia, I think it's not only timely, it's overdue. The issue of where was the board has been an issue for the whole 20 years I've been associated with ethics and compliance. It's the first question people ask in the aftermath of a serious scandal or major corporate misconduct? Where was the board of directors? And the truth is that's a question that chief ethics and compliance officers and their teams can't always answer. Boards are obviously a huge force in the conduct and culture of a company, but what directors say, do, and influence from the boardroom is often a bit of a black box to the ethics and compliance community, even within the same company. So boards are really fairly new at this. Even though ethics and compliance has been around for 20 years, it comes on top of so many other things that boards have to do and so many processes and procedures and structures at the board level that are already well ingrained. It's hard to add these new topics, even as important as this one is. And we know from the perspective of SECOs how they feel about boards and board oversight, because we've been talking to them for 20 years, but also LRN did a study of this a couple of years ago, talking to 25 chief ethics and compliance officers from global companies, again, off the record, uh, with no one being quoted. And the results were that SECOs are really disappointed in the amount of time, priority, resources, focus, and strategy they get from the board. They're asking for more. And I think we're seeing in this study that boards are also asking themselves for more. So, Marshall, let me turn back to you and ask, in the report, we say ethical culture is a, a business imperative. Why do we say that? Yeah, so there's there's no question, as you sort of point to, that boards play a significant uh, role in in shaping uh, the conduct and the culture of a company. And you know, I mean, every time there is a lapse or a scandal, you know, as you mentioned, the the number one headline or question is where was the board? However, I'd like to call out that that an interesting kind of component that surfaced throughout our our conversations was the importance of extending trust and the currency of trust and where that plays in this notion of building business. So trust is 
hands down one of the most valuable assets a company can cultivate. You know, within an organization, trust can percolate into culture. And outside an organization, it, it translates into loyalty. And we've seen this play out with countless examples, even most acutely during the pandemic. And we've seen how the erosion of trust can impact business and confidence and consumer loyalty, and how deep trust and consistency of trust can build communities and can help sustain business. So a trust-based culture is an ethical culture. And this is the business imperative that was evident and it was coming through threads of conversations that board members really hallmark, they, they care deeply about this. And it's not just that the directors care about this and that the executives care about this, but investors are demanding ethical cultures. They want to see businesses that are investing in trust-based ethical cultures. But it's important to get the foundation right. And I think this is where we're going to dig deeper to in this study. You've got to dive deep into the bedrock. And that starts with activating trust and zeroing in on culture. And it starts with the board. So Marsha, you talked a lot about trust, but I'd also like you to talk a little bit about the other big themes that came out of this study of the points of view of 40 directors of some of the biggest companies in the world. So what were some of those other themes? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, first of all, I mean, a big kind of, I would say, macro theme was the importance of embedding practices around ethics and compliance programs into all segments of the business. So culture change tends to be catalyzed by having a very clear and ethics and compliance strategy. And one big theme was that ethics and compliance doesn't have a home. And I, I think we're going to try to get into that a little bit later, but without sort of finding a home for it, where does it sit? Who oversees it? We're not really focusing on assessing, measuring, keeping a pulse on it. And that kind of reveals theme number one, which would be measurement. So measuring, what are we measuring? Are directors really positioned to even interpret the metrics and the data that is sort of emerging from, you know, what chief ethics compliance officers and CHROs and, you know, and other kind of stakeholders are presenting to the board. Is the board's view sometimes refracted through this management filter? So some of that we're going to unpack a little bit more over the course of actually our upcoming summit. A second big kind of theme was oversight. So lots of conversations around structures and processes. And this is a challenge, you know, so one of the questions that emerged was how can boards really ensure there's adequate time and space being sort of devoted to focus on culture, ethics, and compliance matters. Several directors had examples of committees, subcommittees that have been formed around which committees might or should have ownership. Is culture a committee issue or a full board matter? Several raised uh, questions around how necessary it is to consider bringing in someone with a, with a background, with a chief ethics and compliance back officer background or equivalent, you know, with that kind of expertise onto that board, would that sort of change the dimensions of the types of questions being asked and the types of challenges being investigated? Another big theme was accountability. So again, several directors discussed the importance of building better bridges with management and to engaged more directly with management on matters of culture. There were several directors who mentioned that there's a lot of reports on activities, right? So they're, they're looking at all these different metrics, but one I think very in particular highlighted 
the need for directors to be able to sit back and look for key signals. There's a lot of noise, a lot of activities, but what is the true narrative that we're seeing here? How do we sort of interpret that and who and what function is really accountable? So I would sort of summarize the four themes as, you know, it all starts and ends with trust. However, measurement continues to be a challenge, oversight, instructors and processes and accountability. So, you know, when we were having these conversations, directors continued to sort of pound the table to reaffirm that the words of, of one that said corporate culture eats corporate strategy for breakfast. And something that I found really compelling during these 40 interviews was how directors pounded the table to reaffirm that in the words of one, corporate culture eats corporate strategy for breakfast. And this really underscores LRN's long-held view that compliance is principally an outcome of values-based ethical cultures and not a driver of them. What did you think about this consensus from directors in the study? Marcia, to me, that's the absolute bedrock foundation of everything that needs to happen now. It's really fantastic that the directors, almost to a woman and man, get the idea that if we're going to get the outcomes we want, we've got to get culture right. But as you said in discussing the themes about trust and accountability and measurement, beyond the consensus of culture really matters, directors are still unclear on the path forward. And in fact, sometimes they even fail to make a connection between ethics and compliance and culture. By that, I mean, we had a few comments from directors that culture's really hard, compliance is much more straightforward. But the truth is doing the right thing in a company or in any organization is really a complex set of interactions that is very hard to get right. So. I think it's why it's important that we continue this conversation and continue the exploration because I think we learned that directors' hearts are in the right place, but some of the mechanisms to take that feeling forward still need a lot of work. Marsha, we talked about the idea of board members struggling with ethics and compliance finding a home. What did you make out of that? You mentioned it before, but drill down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I think that this this theme came up in a number of different segments of conversations. And it really comes down to creating a focus. So creating a board focus gives ethics, culture, and compliance a true home. And without a home, there's no oversight or responsibility or regular pulse on that strategy. Where There's no regular check on what's the progress? Are we moving forward? Have we stalled? Who are the stakeholders we need to bring into the conversation? How do we assess and measure the data that's presented to us? So without a home, these conversations are not happening. And as you and I know, you know, last couple decades, what, you know, what gets measured gets done. What gets measured gets the attention. So without a true home, there's no way to have the accountability and the standing anchor for directors to sort of watch and assess and to challenge management, ask the right questions. How is the program being designed? Are we capturing the right metrics? Are we able to link these 
data points into the narrative that gives us a pulse on culture. Now, we had uh, we had some mixed responses from directors in terms of where this should truly sit. And a few directors, as I mentioned earlier, mentioned that, you know, within their organizations, they've designed and developed some subcommittees. Now, we know that, you know, there are some components sometimes, let's say, compliance is, you know, and compliance and risk may be under audit or there may be a subcommittee to audit. Certainly, uh, a number of directors pointed to some of the survey and HR and people workforce data being presented in comp committees. However, there were, I would say, across the board, <laughs> directors were saying that, that culture is a full board matter, and it comes up at the full board, but it needs to have a more focused home. And I think this is where a, a nice springboard to the types of conversations we're going to have over the next few weeks, where we sort of learn from each other and directors will share how they are approaching this, how they are thinking about this and the need to really find a true home for ethics and compliance. Thanks, Marcia. Another really interesting aspect of this study is that 10 out of those 40 board members either are or were chief ethics and compliance officers in their executive lives. Um, did their views differ from the others? Yeah, well, you know, they they essentially brought a stronger, more grounded view that carried greater emphasis. You know, one of the SECOs said that essentially you bring a current credibility on the subject to the board. So it, it makes it very clear to the CEO and it makes it very clear to the board that, that I understand how these priorities live unlock and reveal themselves. And they emphasize certain pragmatic steps in our conversation. So one of the areas of emphasis from SECOs that contribute to the study of SECOs that are former SECOs or current SECOs who sit on boards is that it's important to link and incentivize culture. So finding strategies or examples that they had shared around uh, linking ethical outcomes to compensation is important to at least put on the board and start to have a conversation around. Another area that they really emphasized was it was very critical for the board to have deliberate dialogue around culture that's grounded in metrics. So start identifying what needs to be measured. How do we sort of find the examples and hallmarks of metrics and data that would be representative collectively of culture? Also, they emphasize thirdly that organizations can't play culture. They need to do culture. So it's a, there needs to be a responsibility to stop talking about it, but to start creating and building a strategy. Going back to our conversation on we need to find a home for this, we need to bring in the right stakeholders to challenge and ask the right questions and start to build the plan. And then lastly, this sort of resulted in the importance of giving culture a home at the board. But I'm curious, you are a former chief ethics and compliance officer. You also serve, have served on a number of boards. What do you think are the key takeaways from this report, uh, both for chief ethics and compliance officers and for the teams and staff that they're building within their organization? I think the report says a few things loud and clear. And I think I could sum it up by saying it is an endorsement of the view that ethics and compliance has to be strategic. It has to be values-based. It has to focus on creating cultures, not on creating rules, procedures, and programs. Ethics and compliance has got to go deep into the drivers of both misconduct and the kind of behavior that we want to incent. 
ethics and compliance and the CECOs who drive it have to help companies and their boards and their teams find metrics that really allow for tracking and improving culture. Must focus on core issues like trust, fear, organizational justice, willingness to speak out, willingness to listen and hear. So one way I've characterized this is CECOs and their teams have to play big, not little. It's time to have a clear strategy that encompasses how to build and maintain an ethical culture. It's time to move away from reporting on activities to having a discussion with their boards about the culture drivers of misconduct, having a narrative about what's happening in the company, why and what needs to happen to change it, having a new set of metrics that measure what matters, like trust, fear, justice, and how to knock down the barriers to what we call a true speak-up culture. And it's time to find a way to strengthen their relationships with their boards inside and outside of board and committee meetings. That's, that's what I'd say if I were a CECO still, I'd be taking away from this, Marsha. And then, David, then how do you think, you know, our colleagues in the compliance and ethics industry could use or leverage this report in bridging and building conversations with their own uh, peers, senior executives, and, and their board members? Well, I mean, I think CECOs need to start a deeper conversation with management and with boards on issues like board training, board reporting, the board relationship with ethics and compliance. They've got to find a way to elevate. They have to find a way to kickstart a stronger relationship with members of boards and members of the key committees. They have to have a discussion with directors about, are we doing the right kind of training? Are we doing the right kind of reporting? Do we have the right metrics? What does good oversight look like? Do we have a real culture strategy as it applies to doing the right thing? Do we have the right structure? What's our relationship both inside the boardroom and outside the boardroom, and how do we strengthen it? How do we find the themes, narratives, and trends and talk about them and not talk about activities. There's no, I can tell you as a board member, there's no other function or no business unit or no executive who simply stands up and talks about activities. And that's been the tradition of ethics and compliance. We've got to shift the focus to outcomes, not to activities. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think this report really points to a lot of that. Um... So fascinating, fascinating. Marsha, I think this is a conversation we could have all day, and we will continue this conversation in future podcasts. But we're out of time here today. So my name is David Greenberg. My guest has been Dr. Marsha Urshagi Hames from Tapestry Networks. And I want to thank you and everyone for joining us on the Principled Podcast by LRM. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.